This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Matthew. And I'm Molly. And this is... (laughs) And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. Today... We're talking about chicken thighs. The most sensual part of the chicken. <laughs> I do not know how we got onto I this bit. You started I started it. it. I know. Anyway, uh, we won't we won't keep doing that. But chicken thighs. No, we're, are, we're committed to it now for the rest of the episode. You know, I love that. I love that we haven't found. You know how with meat we find other words like you know po- like cow meat is beef. Cow meat is beef. Pig meat is pork. Pig meat is pork. Chicken is just chicken. Yep. I'm and fascinated that we haven't found another word for the thigh that feels less like. But I mean, we also have the chicken breast. That's true. It's interesting. Whereas, like with with like we have pigs trotters. Yeah. Like nobody would ever say like, "Hey, it's pigs feet." Instead, but, trotters. Well, I mean, people do eat pigs feet called pigs feet. That's true. But also, we have like, we have pork butt, which is not like not the butt. butt. No, it's the shoulder, yeah. right? God, this is so confusing. Words Words are weird. Okay, so this is our chicken thighs episode. And like last week's episode about underappreciated cookbooks, this one was also suggested by listener Chloe. Yeah, listener Chloe, uh, topic suggester in chief, apparently. Thank you. Okay, Matthew, I'm going to start out on memory lane. Please do. Uh, You know, I don't remember my parents ever making chicken thighs on their own when I was a kid. I remember either my dad roasting When you say on, on their own, you mean like just the <laughs> two of them for like a romantic evening? Of course you wouldn't well, yeah, remember that. You weren't around. there. Yeah. No. Um, I remember my dad roasting whole chickens, of which I would only want the breast meat. And then I remember, of course, my parents both cooking boneless, skinless chicken breasts. I'm really glad you mentioned this because I've got some statistics related to this topic later in the episode. Okay. I remember knowing as a child that my mom liked dark meat better than white meat, particularly like specific to turkey. Mm -hmm. But I think I knew this about chicken too. But all this to say, I, I did not want to eat 
like the the dark meat, the the thigh or the drumstick so much as a kid. I was a, a breast meat person. Yeah, same here. I was I thought that white meat chicken was like the good chicken when yeah. I was a kid. And that was sort of like the dogma of the time that somehow like seeped into my young brain. And I just, uh, you know, preferred it as a kid when my mom would make roast chicken. And then once I started cooking, that's I think when I started preferring dark meat. Although I do remember cooking a lot of boneless, skinless chicken breasts in the 90s. I I did too. Yeah. I did too. And then at some point found like I just like <laughs> thought the dark meat was tastier and harder to screw up when cooking. Do you remember me mentioning the the meat guy who would come around with meat in his car, like frozen meat? I do. do you remember me and mentioning it's still this? it still sounds like the premise of like a gritty HBO drama. <laughs> yeah. Well, so there was there was the meat guy who when I was growing up in Oklahoma, I think when I was in high school, this guy would drive around with like coolers of what he sold to us as like really like a high end meat. I don't know what the hell that meant at the like, time. Did this guy have like any credentials? I am not. You know, I think I think it <laughs> like was like a badge. I think that it was the equivalent of like being a Cutco salesman. Yeah. Okay. Like I'm sure that it was some sort of like MLM, right? Yes, but. I feel like I would ask more questions about meat than like the knife. Like, okay, you know, it it cuts or it doesn't, right? Okay, yes. Anyway, I do remember one of the things that he sold that we always bought a ton of were um, individually frozen and vacuum sealed uh, boneless, skinless chicken breasts. Yeah, I think think in the industry that's called IVF. It's not. (sighs) Okay. All right, go on, Matthew. Oh, oh, no, I'm sorry I interrupted your, your story no, about no, the no. meat guy. Anyway, but I, I don't remember my parents ever buying chicken thighs. It was like so much boneless, skinless chicken breast. And um, I think that I also was never drawn to choosing thigh meat uh, in any kind of poultry because I think that it was too flavorful for me. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, Matthew, what are you going to tell me about the various meats? Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about white meat versus dark meat chicken history. I can't wait. And this mostly comes from a uh, 2011 article from Slate that we'll link to in the show notes that delve deep into the white meat, dark meat dichotomy. Mm. And, uh, as you would expect, the the American preference for white meat chicken, which is still with us to this day, mm-hmm. although it's not as strong as it was at its peak, has to do with low-fat dogma and the sure. idea that like a chicken breast is like the lowest-fat part of the chicken and that this will be better for you somehow. This is not true. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it is true that it is lower fat. It is not true that there's any evidence that one part of the chicken is better or worse for you than another part of the chicken. Mm-hmm. So according to, uh, w- this is from the Slate article, according to William Rennick, which I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name correctly because it's R-O-E-N-I-G-K, which is pretty cool name spelling. Mm-hmm. Senior Vice President of the National Chicken Council. Americans say that they choose white chicken meat by a two-to-one margin, mainly for health reasons. A quick Google search or flip through a fitness magazine yields advice condemning fatty legs in favor of the lean breast. Now, of course, this was in 2011. Uh, Things have changed somewhat since then, it seems, although I had like a hard time finding hard data data on like the consumer preference trends. But it does seem like that the, that like the, Assumption that white meat chicken is always better has faded a little bit. You mean better, like health wise? Healthier, or is it like, you know, the one you would obviously choose? Like at some point, McDonald's, like chicken McNuggets, went from like a mix of dark and white meat to all white meat. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And like it was just assumed that like every consumer would, would uh, like recognize that like this made it a better nugget. Mm hmm. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I think I don't think that's like quite as obvious today that like you would you would necessarily trumpet that. I don't know. I I, I don't know. I mean, you and I I, I think are in kind of a, a bubble of mm-hmm. of people who who prefer or or who give preference to flavor over quote unquote like health promoting yeah. uh, factors in food. That said, if it's any indication, Tony Negroni ha- has been cooking chicken thighs now for many years uh, and pretty much never buys chicken breasts anymore. And Tony Negroni uh, was someone who really, for a time, bought into all the health and nu- nutrition uh, stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So so uh, who knows? Okay. So this this next part, I'm going to like switch the order here of what's on okay. the agenda. So uh, I went to the National Chicken Council the website. I didn't like show up at the headquarters. Oh, what a shame. Um, and found some interesting data about consumer, like how chicken is sold uh, in terms of whole birds versus parts versus processed over time. You ready okay. for this? I'm okay. ready for this. So the earliest year that they had data for was 1962, which was the year of the Seattle World's Fair. Okay. Uh, and uh, at that point in that year, chicken was sold 83% as whole birds, 15% as cut up chicken parts, and 2% as processed foods. Whoa, okay. I bet that has changed big oh, time. Yes. Wow. Uh, and the biggest changes occurred in the 80s. Okay. When Molly and I were kids, so I'm going to pick 1985, the numbers stood at 29% whole birds, 53% parts, and 18% processed foods. So, like, you know, in, like, the 70s, like, you wouldn't really have been able to choose boneless, mm-hmm. skinless chicken breasts because they weren't really being produced much yet. Mm, okay. Okay. So what about like recent data? So as of 2019, which is the most recent data, we are now down to 9% whole birds, 40% parts and 50% processed. Wow. I'm a, I'm a bit saddened by the processed part, but it doesn't surprise me in yeah. the least given that you know, food processing technology has exploded and convenience foods and things like that. I mean, of course, we're turning a lot of chicken into various processed food products. Yes. Yes, we are. Yes. Wow. <laughs> this is wow. It, it, it's uh, it's we time. We haven't even mentioned dinosaur shaped nuggets. Oh, great. Here we go. Um, no, I'm not. I'm not going to talk in particular about that. So as soon as you start cutting up most of the chickens into parts and selling them as parts and also convincing people that the white meat, the, that the chicken breast is the best part, then you have a problem. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like it's like I think about this whenever I see lamb chops on a menu. Like, mm-hmm. where, what's going on with the rest of the lamb? Oh, man. Lamb shoulder is so good. Like, I don't buy it often, but every time I get lamb shoulder, like, yeah. it's going to be a great meal. But we had this issue where, like, American consumers wanted like an unlimited amount of chicken breasts and kind of couldn't care less about the rest of the chicken. And so we needed to find a market for exporting the dark meat. And uh, the U.S. exports a lot of chicken parts. Like we still like export a lot of uh, of chicken feet uh, to East Asia where mm. they're very popular. Mm-hmm. But the market that we found for our chicken legs, the thighs and drumsticks, was Russia. Really? Um, and, uh, you know, I did not realize we were going to be talking a bunch about Russia in this episode. Hold but, on, hold uh, on. Wait, when was this? We're talking about like a different moment in time. We no longer export a large amount of chicken to Russia. This was like 1991. So, so this was on the heels of like uh, w- the Soviet Union was exactly. just collapsing, So, So right? like before that, Russia was not a, a partner that we traded with. But then all of a sudden, like, you know, uh, the, wall came the wall down. came down. Like they're going to have capitalism in Russia. And like we're like, hmm. 
hmm, maybe they would be interested in all of our chicken legs. And so uh, the U.S. started uh, exporting chicken legs to Russia where they were for a long time. And the I found may still be called among old timers called Bush legs after President George H.W. Bush. Wow. Uh, by 1995, the U.S. was exporting exporting 1.5 billion pounds of chicken legs to Russia, and that that like dropped off little by little to to the point where like we we're not exporting stuff to Russia in the current moment. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that is fascinating. Interesting. So- Here's my evidence that that people are maybe coming around on chicken thighs and dark meat chicken. Okay. For a while now, the most popular part of the chicken has been the chicken wing because they're tasty. When did that happen? That happened in like the 2000s. Okay. Like starting in in the like the first decade of this century. Okay. So, so wow, it's so interesting. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm overstating the interestingness of this, but I find it fascinating the way that different cuts of the same relatively small animal are either like wildly popular or wildly unpopular, like uh, that, that we have this many opinions about chicken parts. Yes. So, uh, and it's because like, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings, Wingstop, like every bar started serving wings. Like I think in the 2010s, like Domino's Pizza started, starting making wings available for delivery. Mm -hmm. And so what that led to was like, you know, an explosion in the market for chicken wings. And in during the pandemic, a chicken wing shortage because of uh, various issues coming together that we can like sort of euphemize as uh, as supply chain issues. Okay. And because of that, the the popular chain Wingstop launched the Thigh Stop brand. And in a CNN article at the time, uh, uh, the journalist wrote, quote, convincing Americans to get excited about thighs might not be easy. There's not a big market for it. Morrison said thighs just don't get the appreciation they deserve. Well, they do in my book. They do in my book, too. I mean, thighs and generally. So they're not. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I do like thighs. <laughs> um, it's it's like it's not clear, like how successful this was. But wait, this was a whole brand. Yeah, it's not like a separate store, but it's like, you know, you need to think about our business because like now we're calling it Thigh Stop for a short time. The whole business? Well, it sort of depends what you mean. Like they didn't they didn't go out and like change the the size on the stores. Okay. 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 Uh, but they couldn't they just take thighs and kind of smush them into the shape of wings. I mean, I think they sort of did because, like, already, like one of the most popular products on the menu was boneless wings. Yeah, and so so now they have boneless thigh bites. Okay, uh, okay, which, well, I'm I'm up for that. Yeah, uh, which but, I'm sure are delicious. God, I just love thigh bites. I mean, like this is all. <laughs> I mean, you would never say breast bites. No, I don't like that. A wing, a wing bites. Maybe you'd say wing bites. But like a wing is already kind of bite sized. Breast bites. Nobody's yeah. gonna say that. So why do people say? Thigh I mean, bites? I mean, if that's what you're into, that's fine. I mean, that is sexy. Thigh, thigh bites. bites. Yeah, thigh bites sounds great. Um, I've not tried wing stop thigh bites. I don't think there is a wing stop near us, uh, or at least not near me. I was, I was thinking about like, could we like get some to eat during to this remember, episode? You know, I, I, I remember. What about Wing Dome? I feel like wing, I can picture Wing, wing Dome. Wing Dome is, is a, a, I think, Seattle chain. Oh, like okay. there, there was one in the U District. Like I think it's still around. I think Wing Dome. I think there's one on, it was, it was on Greenwood on or Finney. Oh, I think originally it was a joke on Kingdom, the oh. stadium that was demolished like 20 years ago. Ah, well, whenever I have to take my car to be worked on, I take it to a place on on Greenwood. And I usually walk home or walk somewhere 
like nearby sure. to kill some time. And I yeah. always walk by the wing dome right. that's there. I feel like it's around 80th, 77th yep. or something. Do you, how do you feel about the phrase thigh dome? <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what it might be. What it be. would be. Yeah, me too. You know, thigh dome. Is it like another word for, is it like if you have a thigh gap that has like a really like dome thing <laughs> at the top? <laughs> What what would that be? I don't know. Like, or could could the thigh dome just be like like a round ass? That does seem that like, seems better. I like that. Yeah. Oh man, check out her check check out his thigh dome. Yeah, check out. Is it plural or singular? I, it could be either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, was does this person have a single butt cheek? I do they? You tell me. Well, maybe somebody has one butt cheek that's much more appealing than the other, in which case you're like, whew, that guy's thigh dome. Yeah, like left left thigh I'm team left thigh dome. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So anyway, Matthew, I would like to try the thigh bites. Maybe we can make a, a uh, field trip. I think that sounds great. We It's been way too long since we went out for wings together. It has been too long since our last caper. Yeah, the last time we yeah. went out for wings together was like, Buffalo Wild Wings, like uh, Boneless Thursdays. 2019, yeah. maybe? Okay. Matthew, how do you cook chicken thighs? I cook chicken thighs all the time, first mm-hmm. of all. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I stir fry them at least once a week, like cut into cubes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I usually buy boneless, skinless, uh, sometimes bone in if I'm going to braise them or I want to do something with the skin. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, I'll, I'll stir fry them with uh, as a topping for rice, ingredient in yaki udon, pod thai, yakisoba. Uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about you? So my spouse has been working on like learning to cook or improving their cooking repertoire. And one thing that they have really dialed in and claimed as their own is a recipe we originally found in the New York Times by Sarah DiGregorio. It is a recipe for pressure cooker chipotle honey chicken tacos. So basically you take chicken thighs, uh, you mix them up with um, chipotles in adobo, Honey, I can't remember what else because I no longer have to make this. Ash makes it. You put it in your Instant Pot or other pressure cooker and let her rip for like no time at all. And you take two forks, shred the chicken, and you have delicious meat for tacos. You know, pickled onions, whatever you want to go in there. And uh, anyway, this is a fantastic recipe. I originally learned about it from my friend Leisha, who I think... Might be a little bit too classy to listen to our show. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, But anyway, it's a great recipe. So yeah, we'll link to it. Pressure Cooker Chipotle Honey Chicken Tacos by Sarah DiGregorio in the New York Times. That sounds great. Yeah, we'll link to it. I often, I will like make dinner involving chicken thighs and like I have like a little too much to stir fry at one time. So I'll have like one leftover boneless, skinless chicken Mm. thigh. Mm -hmm. Whenever that happens, I will saute it then slice it and put it in a quesadilla. Mm. And it reminds me of like the chicken quesadilla that I would get at Del Taco when I was in college. Uh. Um, just like Tillamook cheddar or or even like a, a more like store brand cheddar even would be perfect. Like the cheapest, like, like supermarket flour tortillas, just perfect. I love it. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, 
Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. What else do you do with chicken thighs? Um, they go into enchiladas, which mm-hmm. I've not made in too long and need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, last night, teenager of the show, December, made uh, butter chicken from the two sleevers, uh, butter, yes. famous butter chicken lady recipe, yeah. um, which uh, we have a little bit of leftovers. Uh, and uh, that was so good. Oh, that recipe is fantastic. Um, I, I have that on my list as yes. well. Um, you know, Matthew, you mentioned enchiladas. We tend to use chicken thighs uh, for chilaquiles. Yes. Um, although... I I will say that chilaquiles are something um, that we will often buy a rotisserie chicken for. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, and so that'll be a mixture of of white meat and dark meat ultimately in the chilaquiles. But if I'm just going to buy raw chicken to cook for chilaquiles, it's going to be uh, boneless, skinless thighs, and I'm just going to like roast it with some salt and pepper and. Yeah, I feel like I should say say at this point, I don't dislike chicken breasts. I feel like uh, thinking back of what I was saying, I feel like maybe we were like dissing people who like chicken breasts. And that was not my intention at all. No, I I have very fond memories of the boneless, skinless chicken breasts that um, that we used to get from the meat man because we would marinate them in. I don't even remember what, but they were Italian dressing. No, I feel like it was maybe more of like a soy sauce kind Ooh, of situation. Yeah. In college, I would marinate them in like Stubbs barbecue. You were marinating marinate. in college? Uh, my senior year. Okay. I lived in an apartment on campus. But those chicken breasts. I can say breasts, with confidence that throughout my college career, well, at least when I was like living on campus, I never marinated. I I think I did because I really was trying to save money and and cook a lot. Masturbated maybe once or twice. (laughs) Maybe once or twice. (laughs) Anyway, uh, what I was going to say is that the boneless, skinless chicken breasts that that I grew up learning how to cook, we would always cook in a little skillet, like a little six inch skillet, you know, like if you do like, if my parents would like cook me one chicken breast before they were going out to dinner or something. And I have such fond memories of like how moist and delicious and perfectly browned this was from whatever it had been marinated in. So I I got nothing really against it. It's just, for instance, hold on, Matthew. Yes. The next thing I was going to mention as far as what I use chicken thighs for is something that I don't like to use breast meat for. So I want to talk about this. So um, it's just a simple chicken and rice soup. It almost turns into like a jook kind of situation because I like to cook it until the rice really falls apart. But um, it's just a simple chicken and rice soup with um, a lot of chopped up carrot in it and you finish it with a lot of lemon juice. Mm -hmm. And I have a couple of times made it Sort of like an avgolemino? Almost. No, that's different. That doesn't have like egg in it? Yes, it does. But I have made it a couple of times with chicken breasts, maybe... I don't because that was what we had around and it is so not as flavorful like you need because you're you're cooking the chicken meat in chicken stock with the rice and you really need the fat and that like just extra flavor of thighs to make the soup taste good. Yeah. I yeah. was thinking like of a, of a counter example of like, could I think of a recipe where like chicken breast really is the way to go all the time and it's chicken marsala, which I haven't made mm. in a long time. And I feel like I would like to. Do you pound the chicken? Yes. I pound the okay. chicken and like you, you know, you got to like, 
uh, get get some nice color on it when you saute it, and you're going to be eating it with a knife and fork. And like you could use a chicken thigh for that, but it just wouldn't be right. And the sauce is already very rich and flavorful. Well, and also whenever I am doing like chicken that is breaded with panko and then pan fried, absolutely, yes. always using breast, either buying cutlets or buying the breast and breaking it down into yeah. into cutlets. Uh, but this is an episode, Matthew, about did ever, thighs. Did you ever break anything down into cutlets in college? Mm, I wanted to, but yeah. it was hard hard to find the right the right chicken, Cut, the right cutlet partner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I feel like I had one other. Okay. I, I have one other. Yeah. Go ahead. Then I'll do mine. Okay. So in Samin Nosrat's book, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, which I think probably most of our listeners yeah. have, there is a recipe called Conveyor Belt Chicken. And it is, it's just a narrative recipe. It's not actually broken down into like a list of ingredients. But the gist of it is that she, I think she was once coming home from somewhere with a friend and she had like chicken thighs in the free, in the fridge and they were both really hungry. And so uh, she got a cast iron skillet really hot and seasoned these chicken thighs well and then put them in this hot skillet and put a weight on top of mm-hmm. them. So I think, uh, you know, either another cast iron skillet or like a big tomato can covered in aluminum foil or a brick. Uh, yeah. So that the fat would render and make the like the like more crispy bits, you know, on the on the chicken thighs. And anyway, she describes it. She calls it conveyor belt chicken because it was so delicious that she just felt like she could lie down at the end of a conveyor belt of this <laughs> stuff and like just just take it all in. Um, that said, my stove is not ever going to give me good conveyor belt chicken thighs. Yeah, It's just not my chicken. My, my stove's not going to do it for me. But I aspire to make that recipe the way that Samin makes it sound. Maybe like if you're if you're like on vacation at a place with a with a hot stove sometime and an exhaust fan and an exhaust fan. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe just like uh, drop by a neighbor's house. Yeah. And, and see, they'll like, never notice. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was imagining like coming to the door, like, can I borrow a cup of sugar? But like, no, I've got these chicken thighs. Can I can I ruin your kitchen? But yeah. no, you're just going to break in. Uh, you know, that's what I was thinking. All you'll leave behind is an aroma. Well, our next door neighbors now have one of those like keyless entry things with a code. And I know what the code was, at least as of a week ago, because I was feeding their cats. Okay. So, uh, and they have they have like a newly renovated kitchen, which I don't think I'll ever have in this lifetime. Okay. And what, so what's I'm... that code? Let's Let's read it out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I know where I'm going to get my conveyor belt chicken. Okay, um, you know, you know how like uh, uh, like in Home Alone, like the Wet Bandits, their their uh, calling card was. I haven't seen Home Alone since it came out. Well, okay, so so uh, the Wet Bandits, when they break into your house, they they leave, they turn the tap on when they leave, so like it floods your house, and that's their calling card. Because they're jerks. Ooh, cool um, prank. So my, I, I'm going to be the opposite. Like you know how, like when you're trying to sell your house, you bake fresh bread. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the bandit who bre- breaks in. Like I will steal your stuff, but I'm also gonna like put in a nice loaf of sourdough <laughs> before I, before I leave. Okay. Okay. Uh, Matthew. <laughs> and you're not going to know how to feel, right? Because like I stole your necklace. Yeah, but... you're going to feel really grateful and at the same time really upset. Yeah, you're going to be like sitting down with the cops, giving the police report, like all sharing this this 
beautiful rustic sourdough loaf. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Matthew, <laughs> is there anything else that you want to talk about uh, that you yes, make with chicken I've, thighs? One more, which is a recipe that I'm planning to make tonight that I got from YouTube. Yes. Um, what I, YouTube channel? It, the channel is called Chef's Labo. I think I've I think I've mentioned it before. If you just Google Chef's Labo, uh, L A B O dot Google YouTube search, um, or Google. I don't know. I don't know how the internet works. Can you tell me? Uh, no, TikTok. I can't. Um, it is uh, the the. Uh, I may have even done it as a now, but wow. Anyway, the the host of the channel is uh, is a um, Japanese Australian chef. He's uh, he's from Japan, lives in Australia, and does like just kind of uh, you know the best recipe style versions of uh, of like Japanese home cooking. And this recipe started as a pork rice bowl dish, like a butadon or, or um, pork on rice. And I did not have pork belly on hand, so I was like, I'm just going to make this dish with uh, chicken thighs. And I, how bad could it be? And it's become like an absolute family. Favorite. Favorite. I did make it with pork at one point, and we were like, "This is good," but like the chicken thigh version, we think is better. Mm. Um, and so I will, I will link to the recipe. Um, and all you have to do is substitute an equal uh, w- uh, amount of chicken thighs for the pork. Okay. And what makes it special is, uh, first of all, it's got like a lot of kombu in it for uh, that you like. Uh, you know, stew in there and pull out uh, uh-huh. just for to add tons of umami. But it's got grated onion, mm-hmm. and so you're like cooking down this uh, this uh, sauce with like soy sauce and uh, and sake and mirin and a lot of grated onion, mm-hmm. and it gives it this texture that like. Ordinarily, I feel like I kind of don't like that grated onion texture, but it's just perfect for this and just like soaks into the rice. It's just a wonderful dish. Mm. Um, And uh, I am going to make it tonight. Okay, fun. Matthew, shall we do segments? Yes, let us. I will read this spilled mail. This is from listener Zohar, who asks... When we were kids, my brothers and I would love to eat pasta with a bunch of cottage cheese and ketchup as the sauce. To this day, I find this a great comfort food that makes me feel good. What are some childhood foods that might seem unusual or eccentric that you still eat? Is there something your children introduced to you? First of all, listener Zohar, I love that you ate pasta with cottage cheese and ketchup because I went through a period in college where I discovered that I really loved like hot rice with cottage cheese, like full fat cottage cheese stirred into it. Okay. The cottage cheese, uh, bear with me. I know this sounds, this sounds not, not up your alley, Matthew, but the cottage cheese, while it doesn't, you know, like melt the same way other cheeses do, it, it almost did get a little stringy quality. And with the toasty, nutty flavor, I mean, I'm like salivating thinking about it. It was so good, especially good with brown rice because that's extra like nutty and toasty. Oh, man. I I hadn't thought about that in ages. Yeah, no, I totally get the idea. Like the dish you described, Listener Zohar, like is is a nightmare for me. But I get (laughs) I get why it works for you. And I'm happy. Go on, Matthew. What other ones do you have? Okay, so I've got I've got a couple. This one this one is one that I'd still do occasionally, although not very often, which is that uh, when I was a kid, my mom used to make us uh, three boys top ramen with no liquid and half the seasoning packet, which which was like a like an alternate method that was on the package. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think I think it was probably done back then for like health reasons of one kind or another, um, but also also to avoid like spilling. Like you know, boys spilling spilling soup all over the house. Is this because you were eating them out of the the styrofoam cup? Uh, this was the the kind that comes in a plastic 
uh, sleeve. sleeve. Yeah. Um, and so she would she would break the noodles in half so they would be easier to eat, boil them, drain them, and then toss with half, half the soft pack and serve in a bowl. You know, Ash grew up. I'm so glad we have this question. So Ash grew up eating ramen. I'm not sure what brand, but it was always the original flavor. Sure. Um, eating ramen with their dad, uh, instant ramen that they would boil as usual, put the whole seasoning packet in. But the thing is that they would also stir in not even a beaten egg. They would just crack an egg into it and sure. beat it so that it would have eggs sort of, you know, cooked throughout yes. it. Yes. And Ash still does this all the time and eats it straight That's out very of good. Yeah. like a small saucepan. Um, yeah, we, we always have like top ramen style ramen packs on we, hand. We buy ramen by the case sure. online and just keep it in the laundry room. <laughs> and like we have a lot of ramen in the house. Yeah. So I will so I will sometimes do like total like Judy Amster style, just half the half the seasoning packet. Lately I, I still do that uh, that TikTok ramen that uh, like the uh, Indonesian uh, influenced one. I don't um, know that one. Oh it's you you boil and drain the doodles and then you toss with like red chili, um, brown sugar, soy sauce then you like cook an egg and like like mix yeah. that through. It's really good. Ooh, I'm trying to think of other things. Let's see, just a minute. I, let, let me just think for a second. Well, let me tell my other one while you're thinking. This is still not something that I've ever like done exactly the same way as an adult, but have just like the fondest memories of eating as a kid of like that experience of like going over to a friend's house and being like wowed by something that your friend's parents make. Um, even though in retrospect, it's like the simplest thing in the world. And I know I've talked about this on the show before of like going over to my friend Ben's house and like the two things I remember there food wise were they always had Kool-Aid tropical punch in the fridge and we could like just have, have some tropical punch anytime, which is so good. And that his mom would always make spaghetti when I came over and I'm sure it was a jar of ragu, ground beef and just regular like, like uh, store brand or like Ronzoni spaghetti cooked really al dente. And like just that combination. You, wait, you mean like extra to the tooth or extra, extra to soft? The tooth. Oh, so extra crunchy. Yeah. Oh, so, wow. That's like, not that's, what I was that's expecting. That's just how she liked it and how, how Ben liked it. And like, you know, I think the first time I had it, I was probably like, like surprised. And then, you know, got to really look forward to it every time I went over to his wow. house. And I feel like I kind of want to make that for dinner and see, like, I, I, I'm sure, like, the tomato sauce won't be exactly the same, but, like, I, 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 I got to do this. I do wonder, though, if it's one of those things where it tastes extra good because somebody else made it for you. Yeah, I'm sure. Yes. God. You know, whenever my mom makes a salad, I just feel like it just tastes extra good. I don't know what why I think of salad. Salad no, is not totally something agree. that I, like, get off on. But I do, like... Never. <laughs> okay. So I do get off on salad, but like Disgusting. I don't like that idea at all. Anyway, um, no. I uh, uh, other things I'm thinking of. You know, I really miss when my dad used to make an omelet for me. Yeah. My dad was the household omelet maker, and I never make omelets. Yeah. I, I've I've never learned how to make an omelet. I haven't been interested in it, but I miss my dad's omelets. Um, are you are you a member of uh, an HOA, a household omelet association? <laughs> Um, you know, I'm not thinking of another comfort food or another childhood food um, at this moment. Although I do think this doesn't seem eccentric or unusual, but my mom always made, my mom frequently made me tuna salad using like chicken of the sea or bumblebee sure. brand chicken. I mean, tuna. So yeah, tuna salad with just canned tuna, uh, what we knew as Hellman's mayonnaise or mm -hmm. best foods. And then she would put chopped celery in it, which I know is like totally normal. 
And almost no tuna salad has ever tasted as good to me as like being a kid eating my mom's tuna salad with celery. There are so many like normal foods that I can't handle. Oh, wow. So frustrating. Yeah, that is frustrating. I'll never share my my tuna salad with you. Yeah. I do still, um, this is not like a special technique of any kind, but I do still always think of grilled cheese sandwiches as su- surprise cheese sandwiches because that's what my mom that's called the them. best. Yeah. That's the best. Uh, Matthew, it's my week to do a now, but wow. Oh, yes. Okay, so about a month ago now, at least, God, maybe six weeks ago, a book came out called Time is a Mother by Ocean Vuong, who, um, well, his most recent book was a novel on Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous. But before that, he was always known as a poet. And Time is a Mother is a book of poetry. Uh, However, I think this book is going to be uh, a book of poetry that uh, even non-poetry readers are going to pick up because Ocean Vuong is a genius. Non-poetry readers. Hmm. Mm, who could that? Who could I be talking about? Why are you? Why are you looking directly into my soul that way? Anyway, uh, this book is going to be fantastic. Um, it's the first book that that Ocean Vuong has put out since his mother died, and um, anyway, it's just going to be brilliant. I think we're all lucky to live on the earth at the same time as Ocean Vuong and to see what he is making in real time. And so, yeah, pick up a copy of "Time Is a Mother" by Ocean Vuong. Um, I love I love the title and. How- I know, like right? how it could be like read at least two ways, but probably more. Yeah, no, it, it, there's a there's like a read of it that's so sassy. Yes, exactly. Anyway, I should say I'm I'm talking about it hypothetically because when we're recording this, the book is coming out actually tomorrow. Okay, so but by the time this, you hear this, by the this, time you hear this, it will have been out for a while, and maybe you will have already read it. But hey. Read it again. Okay. Anyway, that's Time is a Mother by Ocean Vuong. Our producer, a.k.a. like the, the mother of our audio, is, uh, <laughs> is Happy Circatella. Uh, it you sounded like you said Happy Circatella. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> happy Circatella. That's right. It is. Like, what, when it is was this episode Mother's Day. Today? Sometime it, the month that this is airing. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Happy belated Mother's Day. <laughs> Thanks for birthing our audio, Abby. Okay, you can rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And you can hang out with other people who like the show at reddit.com slash r slash everything spilled milk, where you can like, weigh in on like what are what are the uh, kid foods that still are part of your repertoire today? Or like, what's a, what's a, what are we supposed to, thigh lump? Thigh, thigh, uh, <laughs> thigh dome. Thigh dome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. All right, well, thank you for listening to Spilled Milk. Uh, the show that has been getting cut up into smaller and smaller pieces since the 80s. I'm Molly Weisenberg. And I'm Matthew Amster-Burton. Okay. Take it away, Matthew. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.